Luke chapter twenty-two, verse seven to thirty. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, "Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it." They said to him, "Where will you have us prepare it?" He said to them, "Behold, when you have entered the city." A man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, "Where is the guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples?" And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, "I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God." And he took a cup, and when he had, when he had given thanks, he said, "Take this." And divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the one until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, "This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me." And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying. This cup that is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed! And they began to question one another, which of them it could be. Who was going to do this? A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he says to them, "The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader." As one who serves, for who is greater, one who reclines at table, or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom. That you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. This is the word of God. Today we're going to talk about the Lord's Supper. That's the practice when the church gathers, where we break bread and share in a cup in remembrance of Jesus. Now we're in a short series in May and June on the five core practices at Emmanuel at our church, 
These are things that all Christian churches do. We just clearly define them to make sure that we are always sticking close to the basics. One of the practices is the sacraments. And there are two sacraments, baptism, which we talked about in the the last sermon, and the Lord's Supper, which is what we're going to talk about today. So this is a very important practice, part of the regular uh, gathering of the church. And the question is, what are we doing when we participate in the Lord's Supper? And I'm going to suggest three things today that we are celebrating, we're remembering, and we're renewing. So, of course, this is not comprehensive, but it will be more than enough for today. What are we doing when we celebrate the Lord's Supper? We're celebrating, we're remembering, we're renewing. So, we're going to begin with celebrating. It's very interesting when you read the Old Testament that God's people are commanded to celebrate. Interesting, because you would think that actually the emphasis for the way most people function, if you think about incentives, would be the opposite, that you probably need to scold people, make sure you're staying on top of things and getting your work done. Uh, And no doubt, there's a lot that admonishes people. You know, you've got six days to work. That's implied. Make sure you're resting on one, and there are commandments. But there's something about religious people that could then get caught up in the keeping of the commandments and of the doing things Uh, where you lose joy. You see that's part of Jesus' interaction with the religious leaders of his day. And so it's remarkable uh, for those of us that may be a bit too practical, a bit too frugal, uh, uh, those of us that will postpone our gratification and never have any current gratification, that God's people are commanded to stop at certain periods and enjoy what they have and celebrate. And and in in the calendar, there were a number of festivals. There were three key festivals in the Old Testament. Uh, But what kicked it off was the Feast of Unleavened Bread or the Passover. And that is the context for the Lord's Supper and Jesus' teaching on it. And that's really important to note uh, that it's not coincidental that this just happened to be the gathering where Jesus spoke these words. But this was a key Uh, event in the annual calendar that at that moment Jesus inaugurates this new uh, practice for his people. And so in verse 7, the beginning of our reading, it says, on the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed, and then it tells the story, and and go through the passage again and look at how many times it refers to the Passover where Jesus says uh, in verse 15, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Uh, So the timing of things is very important. The reason every year Passover and Easter happen at the same time uh, is because of Jesus, uh, this being what was termed the Last Supper, this meal. And in that, the symbolism of this meal, he applies to himself to say this is now being fulfilled in a bigger and greater way that the generations who remembered what God had done then, God is now going to do what this pointed to. And so uh, in a Passover meal, there's a variety of symbols and um, uh, things that you do that are meaningful. But, but two of the key ones are bread and I'm bundling together lamb uh, and wine. And I'll say in a minute why I'm, why I'm bundling those together. But certainly if Jesus is our teacher, he... He's the one who says these are key things in the, in the sacrifice in the, uh, or in the, in the ceremony. The fact that they called it the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover justifies that. So in verse 19, he takes bread. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. So that unleavened bread, it wasn't leavened because they didn't have time to allow the, the bread to rise in haste. God was going to bring them out. Um, the Passover is a meal that remembers God great, God's great action of salvation, of deliverance. If you're not familiar with that story, you could read it in the book of Exodus. That's the second book of the Bible. And God's people are crying out in slavery and oppression. And God comes to deliver them, and he raises up Moses, and he has these signs for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, um, to warn him, listen to this message, don't oppress my people, stop killing them. That's literally what was happening. Uh, and there are signs of, of frogs and of boils and these various things to say, take seriously what happens if you don't listen, and Pharaoh wouldn't listen. And so uh, what wasn't really hasty, because there are a series of warnings in time, but in a moment God told his people, get ready, tomorrow you are going, and you don't have time for your bread to rise. And so in the Passover meal from that time in the commemoration was this unleavened bread, uh, so modern Jews will get all yeast, all leaven out of their home uh, as part of preparing for things. So Jesus takes that bread, but then he says, this is my body. That that bread that they had been nourished by, that they had been eating, takes on a new significance as Jesus now is saying that this Passover is about to be fulfilled with a certain measure of reality. And in breaking the bread, he's, he's talking about my body which is going to be broken for you. That's explicitly what he says. That's one of the things we're supposed to see in that sign. Um, but what's interesting if you think about uh, certainly the way we practice it at Emmanuel, and, and this is true of, of how any church practices it, um, but it, it's heightened a little bit more in that we invite people who are participating to come forward and we will serve you the bread and the cup. Some churches pass it around, that's fine. It's still there, but, but there, there's a, a, a sign in that um, Jesus, whose body is broken, so, so the, the bread is broken and distributed, and broken people who live scattered uh, throughout this neighborhood, throughout the city in our particular church, come together, and we come together to remember him, and so there's a sense in which he's broken and scattered, but we who have been scattered all week assemble here. And for us, when we invite you forward, there's more of a visualization of, of us coming together as a seen people who are united in him. His body was broken. Uh, this body is being restored because of him. So it's not coincidental that the New Testament refers to the church as the body of Christ. So his body is broken, but this body is healed and assembled. That's part of the symbolism that Jesus says, I'm going to bring you out just as in a greater way than Moses did. And this bread is now to remind you of what I will do. So break the bread. Remember me. Now this bit about the lamb. So uh, in verse 7, it talks about the feast of unleavened bread, which is how Moses talks about it in Exodus and uh, through Deuteronomy. But the, this, this dinner had become, oh, the celebration had become known as the Passover. And that is tied to this lamb where in verse 7 it talks about this lamb that had to be sacrificed. That's part of the Passover commemoration. So if you go back to the book of Exodus, uh, basically God is saying this has gotten so bad that judgment is going to come. 
And, and there have been these signs of judgments, the Nile being turned into blood and all of these things that should be sobering and wake people up, but didn't because of the hardness of heart. And now death is going to come to every household without discrimination. It's not just Pharaoh, but it's coming to everyone. Now, how terrifying is that for God's people? To everyone. Death is coming to every home? Yes, every home. But there's an instruction given to God's people, but if you sacrifice a lamb and take the blood of the lamb and put it over your door, this angel of death passing through to bring destruction will pass over your home. So that's why they call it the Passover. Um, death and judgment passes over your family because of God's kindness and grace. So you sacrifice the lamb, but when his blood is put over the door, then God will see and remember and he will allow judgment to pass from you. So Jesus says in the day that the, the Passover lamb was to be sacrificed in, in the place that was appointed, because according to the law of Moses, it was only in one place. At the days of Jesus, it was the temple. So when the temple was destroyed, no more sacrificing of the lamb, which is why modern Jews do not typically eat lamb when they celebrate Passover. You have brisket, you have something else, because there's no longer a place to sacrifice. Jesus is saying, in offering the cup of wine at the end of that meal, he said, this is my blood. So this is now verse 20. Likewise, he takes the cup. He says, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So if you remember when Jesus is being baptized, John the Baptist says, here's the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. At the Passover, there's a sacrifice. And the blood of the sacrifice means those who have it will not be under judgment and condemnation. What Jesus is doing in this meal is he's saying Moses promised one day a great deliverer after him. And I am that greater Moses. Moses spoke of a deliverance, a salvation that would be greater than just one uh, set of people in a particular nation, but it would be global and cosmic. There would be something that God would one day do of which the Passover was a sign to remind people of what God has promised, the nature of God, why he can be trusted. Jesus now, to bring the fulfillment of that meal, says there's a new covenant, which is not to say that the old covenant is gone, it's that the old covenant is now fulfilled. And so there's a transformation in the signs, whereas you used to be circumcised, now you're baptized. The sign from blood and descendants to the pouring out of spirit and cleansing. That's what we talked about the last time. The sign of the Passover is now transformed. So when we celebrate it here, we use the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians. Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. Why do we say that every week? Well, Paul says that in 1 Corinthians. Um, Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. He's saying, I am about to go to the cross and give myself. My body will be broken. My blood will be poured out. Now, take the bread and remember that I am the one who gathers you and I welcome you and I feed you. Take that cup and remember that if you uh, have my blood as part of your life, judgment will pass over you. You don't need to fear condemnation. I will face it for you. And so it's a celebration. You know, it's interesting. Um, most of us are simplistic enough that we get either celebrating or lamenting and being in misery. We have a tough time with both of them, understandably, and sometimes a celebration is wonderful, and, but what, one of the things we, we do, we want to celebrate to forget our troubles. 
which is why wine is not often a sign, but it's the thing that helps us to forget the things we're trying to forget. Passover is interesting because if you look at the symbolism, there's salt water to remind us of the tears that were shed. There's bitter herbs to remind us of the bitterness of our experience. And so uh, this bread and this cup remind us of suffering and death. How could we call that a celebration? That's what's interesting about Christianity as a this-worldly faith because it says, yes, this world is broken, there's oppression, uh, there's sin, there's uh, humiliation, all of these things, God's people themselves experience it. And so let's not forget that we weep or that there's bitterness. But Jesus says, but remember what I'm going to do and therefore for us, it's a celebration. Just as the future generations would say, remember what our people are experiencing, and let's reenact it as though we're there. But at the end of the day, let's remember what God did in bringing us out and making us a people. And so therefore, there's a somberness in the sign. It reminds us Jesus died. And so that touches our weeping, our discouragement. But it's also a sign that says, but in the end of it, remember the implications of what he did. Life. Freedom, forgiveness, resurrection. And therefore, when we break bread and take a cup, we're right to say we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And what's interesting, uh, in verse 17, Jesus talks about he wants to come and have this Passover. He knows what's going to happen in the way the disciples don't. And in verse 17, it says, when he had given thanks, he broke the bread. If you were him, is that a moment that you'd give thanks, knowing that what you were about to do? I think that would be a moment to say, oh, Lord, why are you making me do this? But he takes the bread and he gives thanks, which is why some traditions call it the Eucharist, because the word Eucharist comes from a Greek word that means thanksgiving. Jesus gave thanks in that moment, because in the other side of what he was to suffer is something so good uh, that when we remember his suffering, it should produce joy in us. And um, I read something by Johnny Erickson Tata. Some of you will know who she is. She's a Christian figure. She had had an accident when she was a teenager that left her paralyzed. So she's had a very difficult life. Uh, and therefore, when, and she's, she's very theologically sound. She's a good writer. I commend her works to you. Um, not writing about the Lord's Supper, but writing about Thanksgiving. Uh, she, she, I had read something that I noted and I'm gonna share. Um, but I think it's relevant to talking about the Lord's Supper. She said, God isn't asking you to be thankful. He's asking you to give thanks. There's a big difference. One response involves emotions. The other, your choices, your decisions about a situation, your intent, your step of faith. Now, it's not that our emotions are not important. It's not that it's not important for us to be thankful. But sometimes when we're not feeling thankful, it feels inauthentic to give thanks. And then we go a long time waiting to feel better before we give thanks. And Jesus is saying, don't wait. (laughs) Come together and give thanks to God. You're not having a good week, that's okay, but come and remember what I did and give thanks. If you're not feeling it, just, we want you to be authentic, but let's take the time to celebrate. Uh, and that's an important practice because he commands us to be a celebrating people. Now here's the second thing I want to talk about. Uh, the Lord's Supper is about celebrating, but it's also about remembering. So that's the second thing I'll talk about. 
A key in what he tells us to do as we break bread and take the cup is to remember, that's verse 19, do this. So there's the command. One of the reasons we call this uh, an ordinance, why one of the reasons we do this as opposed to other things Jesus did is he tells us, do this. So he says, do this in remembrance of me. So coming together to remember is important. And yes, part of this is cognitive. It's just bringing to mind, it's recalling. But it's more than that. And if you look at, at um, how the Passover was celebrated, uh, the instructions of Moses to future generations was not sort of, let's remember what God did many years ago for our ancestors, but the idea is when you sit down to celebrate, it's as if you were there. The remembrance is a reenactment for the present generation in solidarity, not to say we're going to you know, recall this thing God did once, but we are a people that God has delivered. And that present remembrance is an important part of our remembering. You know, memory is important. Memory is complicated. Um, one of the useful uh, factors of, you know, when, when you think of why do human beings have the capacity to remember? Yes, there's the sentimental part. We like thinking about the past in some ways. But there's the present reality. The ability to remember helps us make choices now. So you touched something and it was very hot and burned your hand. Your memory allows you to not keep doing that. <laughs> so you see that thing and then you remember and you choose based on your remembering. So one function of remembering is to give you uh, that framework to make decisions in the present and to have an outlook on the future. But here's where memory gets complicated. Um, we are not always in control of what we can remember. And typically, um, memory is, is tied to emotion in the sense that powerful experiences are more likely to be remembered. So where did you leave your keys? You put your keys somewhere all the time. It's ordinary, it's not powerful, and therefore it's something that you can do. The assumptions you remember, but if you don't, it's not surprising, it's ordinary. But, but events that are emotionally powerful, we tend to remember. And if, if you have an event like a time that you got an award and people stood and applauded, that memory can shape your present and that if that memory is a strong one, um, then your outlook, you might be a little bit more optimistic and confident if that memory has shaped you. The complicated thing is some of the most emotionally powerful experiences we have are the negative ones and those also shape us. They shape our impressions of the, the present. And therefore, there are lessons that we have learned and acquired over the years tied to some of those experiences that, that are a bit distorted. And so take simple, um, uh, simple instances. But as an adult, if you remember something that happened to you in the third grade, for example, and I'm talking about something basic, but the fact that you remember that as opposed to, uh, you know, uh, what I had for dinner a month ago, that I could remember something from the third grade. So, so let's take an example. You raise your hand in class because the teacher asks a question and you share an answer that's wrong and the teacher points out that it's wrong in a way that is a little bit embarrassing and everybody laughs at you. As an adult, you could look back and say, boy, that's not a big deal. I mean, that happens all the time in life. But if you remember that that happened in the third grade, the question is, why do you remember that? Well, there's something about those kinds of experiences, that, that sense of feeling, I failed, people laughed at me. 
that that sticks with you and, and it sticks with you so as you remember that, because part of the present memory is you must have rehearsed that to some degree the week or two afterwards, you, you thought about it. You embedded it in your memory and as you remembered the rehearsing of it, not simply embedded it, but also fleshed out your interpretation. All of a sudden you realize that that moment was bigger than that moment. Oh, the kids that I was sharing my snacks with at 9 a.m. were laughing at me at 11 a.m. And so what lessons do you gain as a young person that go with you? Don't speak up, you'll embarrass yourself. Uh, don't be too confident when you think you're right, you might be wrong. Don't trust people because they could be very good to you and then in a moment they could turn on you and laugh at you. You know, those are the kinds of takeaways that we get from something simple. Um, and we could, we could go back and wonder why we remember that incident, but we don't always know how it's connected to um, ways that we've come to interpret the world. When Jesus says, I'm calling you to be a new people with a new identity, and I want you to remember me, and I want you to do this frequently. He's not simply saying, hey, I'm so important that I demand to be honored. He's, he's actually helping us with the task that Romans 12 describes as being transformed by the renewing of the mind. We need to learn to think, we need to form new memories, we need to understand a new identity so that we start to reinterpret the world and experience it differently with what has been missing which is God's voice, God's instruction, God's presence. And so when he says, uh, do this in remembrance of me, what are we remembering? It's not just a fact of history, Jesus died. But verse seven, it says the Passover on which the lamb had to be sacrificed. He's saying, you know, I had to come to do something here and I want you to remember why I needed to do it and what I did. And what's remarkable is as he's instructing them, they get into one of the classic Christian kinds of conversations, which is, who of us is going to be the greatest? <laughs> Jesus says, now remember, my body broken for you. Wonderful. Next topic. Of the 12 of us, who's going to be prominent? And Jesus gently corrects them. In verse 27, he says, I am among you as one who serves. What do we remember? Um, Jesus came to serve us. He came to lay down his life. He came to be the Lamb of God who would be sacrificed so that as his blood is poured out, we don't face condemnation. You know, when you go back to those memories that stand out, one of the things that marks them was, I was alone. I was humiliated. Nobody defended me. And, oh, you weren't alone. People were there, but they weren't with me. That profoundly shapes us. Jesus says, now come together and remember what I did for you. That I was alone, I was humiliated, I was rejected, I suffered injustice, people pointed fingers and laughed at me. I did that to pour out my life for you. I come as one who serves, so remember that I'm with you. Remember that I have loved you. Remember this forgiveness, remember this profound grace. Our coming together as a community to remember that reshapes our thinking, our identity, our understanding of the world. We are not alone, but we belong body and soul to Christ our Savior. And we're told, do this often. You need to have your mind transformed. You need to, to rehearse a new kind of memory, a memory that says, I was there for you. I was humiliated. 
so you wouldn't be. And therefore, in the very thing that makes us want to stay away, we're, we're told to come near. You know, of all the signs to remember Jesus, you know, you'd think that he would leave us a sign to remind us of his resurrection, of his ascension, of his seat, being seated at the right hand of God. When we refer to the Lord's Supper as a memorial, it's not how Jesus wanted to be remembered, as though this is his contribution to humanity. I am Jesus. I would like to be remembered through the bread and the cup. He's telling his people that this is how I want you to remember me. This is not uh, the final monument to who Jesus is. It's the practice of his people to say, I want you to remember what I did. Because you're remembering that over and over again is going to be part of the ongoing training of managing your discouragement, of making new choices, of being more courageous, of having joy. And we need to remember what he did in our place. New life is being formed. There was a, a, um, a woman in the news some years ago who shared a story about she was an elite athlete and she was on one of the Nike teams as a teenager. And she talked about how the pressure was so destructive for her that she said basically the coach was abusive. And, and, the, and the, the writing at the time was largely in agreement. Because what the coach was doing was making her a great winning athlete. And while she was getting better at winning the events, she was getting so much worse at life that she was being destroyed, that she looks back and says, you know, um, that pressure to perform destroyed me. And when you think about religion and ethics, we, we often have this idea that, that Jesus stands somewhere in heaven and tells us how to perform better. And that would be a misunderstanding of Jesus. That may be other religious gurus and teachers. That may be other popular speakers. What was interesting, you know, in this story, it brought about this field of performance psychology for athletes, for musicians, uh, and artists, for business people, for uh, people in the military. There, there's meant to be a healthy way to say, if, if you're doing well, but, but you face certain situations that are hard, how do we train you to get through those situations and perform well? That's actually good. And there's a field that says, here's how we're going to encourage you to do it so you get through those moments. But you know, at the end of the day, most of us have the, the lack of that sophistication. A coach at the end of the day wants you to win this week. And is not helping you be a more fuller performer, but somebody who can perform in the very task that that coach is meant to equip you in. And there's a sense that I think many of us feel that the Christian life is like a treadmill where you just need to get on and perform so you stay in God's grace and favor. You know, Nike's slogan is just do it. There's somebody out there saying it's you, it's going to be hard, I'm going to motivate you. You just do it. And Jesus says, do it, but in remembrance of me. That's radically different. Jesus is not saying you need to perform for me. You need to earn my favor. You're part of my army that's sent into the world. He's saying, do you remember what I've done for you? And if you remember me, then you are now equipped to face the hard things. Yes, we need to be prepared to face the hard things and the bar of Jesus is high. <laughs> Love your enemies. Forgive people. Don't curse. Be generous with your stuff. That's not easy. Jesus is not saying, keep these rules and I'll offer you a prize at the end of it. He's saying, remember what I did, and as you lean on me, keep going, 
And you can do this if I'm with you. Uh, and that's actually really important that, that the remembering is something that's just not a cognitive thing. You know, every week, if, if you come to Emmanuel regularly, it may feel tedious once you're used to our order of service that every week we take three minutes to say, make sure you're coming if you're a baptized Christian, make sure you're not just going through the motions. But you know, the reality is, you know, it takes us five or 10 minutes to serve people. We have you come forward. Maybe it would be more efficient if we just passed the elements out, if we had 10 ushers, to, you know, one for each row. What can happen at that time is on autopilot, we can, we can stop and say, you know what? Um, I'm enough rows back that this moment while they're being served, I'll just check my email. I've come and I've been served. It looks like there's another five minutes left. Um, Maybe I'll jot down something on my to-do list. That's what I'm thinking about. Don't feel guilt if that's what happens to your mind because that's what happens to all of us. What I'm saying is, is take advantage of the opportunity to say in this whole seven-day week, we have a short amount of time that we're assembled to remember what Jesus has done. Don't squander that opportunity, but, but take those five or 10 minutes while people are being served and ask yourself, what am I seeing? <laughs> What am I reminded of? There's a, a broken body of Jesus, but there's this assembled community. There's this blood poured out that tells me not to harp on my sense of condemnation. You know, there's an opportunity for us every week to remember. And this is where we don't just go through the motions. There's nothing magical. We're gonna hand you bread and you're gonna be a different person. We're saying, come in faith and do what Jesus told you to do. Remember him, remember. He gave himself for you. Remember his suffering. Remember his humiliation. Remember his forgiveness. Remember his promise of resurrection. Remember his life. On any given week, you may need to remember something different, but, but take those 10 minutes and rehearse in your mind this new reality. God invited me here to be part of this community. God is showing me in a sign. He's putting something in my hand that tells me a different story. I'm gonna rehearse that memory over the years we're training ourselves to see God as good, to understand his grace, to grow in confidence of his forgiveness. And week by week, we lose sight of that. So he says, come, do this, but in remembrance of me. So we celebrate, we remember, and here's the last thing. The Lord's Supper is about renewing. And renewing is this regular recommitment. I'm using the language of weekly if you're part of our church. A lot of churches do it monthly. Occasionally you have churches that do it quarterly. Uh, as often as your community does it, there's a renewing aspect that you're recommitting yourself. You're coming and saying this last week, I thought I had the best of intentions, but I wandered. <laughs> and now I'm coming back. And I'm going to remember, and I'm going to recommit to this next week. And it's that covenantal language in verse 20, he says, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Covenantal language is relational language. God has made a promise. He's committed himself to us. And he says, now commit yourself to me and be with me. And he gives us a sign. You know, we don't use the language of covenant in many places. One of the few places Christians use that language is in a marriage. We talk about the covenant of marriage. So, so <clears throat> a group of people assemble as two people make promises. And they speak words that once they're said, they're only remembered. Now, these days, you can hire a videographer who will stick a mic right in front of you and so you could watch the recording. Uh, but for many years, there were, you didn't have that opportunity. So you had witnesses who remembered who heard it. 
You were there and you remembered it. But in the, in the traditional Christian ceremony, you make the verbal promises, but then there's a sign, there's a ring that you put on each other's finger, something that is seen and felt. It's a sign to you, it's a sign to the world. I've made promises to somebody. I'm in covenant, I'm committed. It should remind you of your spouse. Uh, it should signal to others. There's a physical reminder. Um, as we remember what Jesus did, that, that we don't keep sacrificing him. There was one sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins, but there's a sign for us to remember this bread and this cup. It's something that says God has committed himself. He has joined himself to you. And now assemble and take those elements and remember that you're joined if you're a Christian. And, and recommit. Have you wandered a little bit this week? Come back. Have you wandered a lot over the last few months? Come. Let this be the reminder of what he offers to you. Receive his grace. This is a sign. And here we see, even in this passage, one of the, the ironies of, of this moment. Jesus chooses 12. One of them would betray him. So in verse 21, he says, The hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. And it's interesting. The sign of friendship, the kiss. Judas comes with a sign later to betray him. Jesus gives us a sign of being betrayed. And he says, don't be like that. Judas, who was with Jesus and heard his announcement of forgiveness. I don't know the psychology of what J Judas was experiencing in verse 3 of this passage, which we didn't read. It said Satan entered into him, the divider, the accuser. When he was left feeling condemned, he wound up not returning to Jesus ever. He was there to hear the invitation. Don't stray, but if you stray, come back. Verse 28, Jesus' words to his disciples, he says, You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. That's remarkable because he's about to face a trial and they are not going to stay with him. But they come back. Jesus is not saying, You are those who have fulfilled the law. You are those who have kept the commandments. You are those who are perfect. When he says, You stayed with me, yes, they wandered, but they, they came back. That's what's important. And so we are to stay with Jesus. Don't be foolish because when you wander, it's self-destructive and it's harmful. But if you are foolish, come back. That's what this sign is to say. Come and, and remain with God's people. Remember what he has done. Don't take that for granted. Uh, and so that regular practice of what we call communion. So we call it the Eucharist. We call it the Lord's Supper. We call it communion because this is a time of fellowship. We don't just remember him in a memorial way like we do at a memorial service for the dead person who's not present with us. Let's come together to remember this person we loved. Some of us have that mindset. We have a sign to remind us of Jesus who's not here. Jesus says, when you gather, I am here with you. <laughs> By the power of my poured out spirit, I poured out my blood so that you would be forgiven. I poured out my spirit so that when you're baptized, you are part of that community. And now when we eat and drink in remembrance of him, we're having communion with him. Don't come just thinking about this long off event, but remember he assembles his people so that we could have fellowship with him. And that's where it's not just the memory of what he did, but the reality that he comes to join himself with us that says when you remember that, you can face your challenges. You could, you could go back to those humiliating things in the past and say they're not defining. Because if, if Jesus was humiliated and came to be with me, I could keep going. And so there's a spiritual presence that we, we meet with Jesus. And so let's be aware when we take these elements that in remembering him, we're, 
we're renewing that covenant, the belief that he's with us. And perhaps the most famous uh, teaching of Jesus about the wanderer is his parable of the prodigal son. And it's a story he tells about uh, a foolish wandering son who demands the inheritance from his father while his father is alive. And he goes and he squanders it. What's interesting about that parable, as I was thinking about it this week on this topic, is food actually plays an important role in the parable. It's not the most essential thing, but I'm just going to highlight that it's there. So it says, after he'd spent everything, there's a famine. So what happens in a famine is you don't have enough food. So now he has no money. He doesn't have enough food. So he, he hires himself to pig farmers. That's significant in a Jewish context. He's not going to eat the pigs. But in the parable of Jesus in Luke 15, is where you could read it, uh, Jesus says, but he looked at the food that he was feeding to the pigs with longing. He wanted to eat it, but he couldn't because his job was to give the food to the pigs. And then he remembered his father. He remembered his father whose servants had plenty of bread. And he thought, here I am, humiliated, having betrayed my father, and I'm feeding food to pigs that I wish I could eat. Maybe if I go, my father would accept me as a servant so I could have some of his bread. And then he goes back and the surprise of the parable is the father accepts him as a son, welcomes him back with rejoicing. My son who is lost is found. And he doesn't just give him bread, but he sacrifices an animal in order to feed him and hold a feast. You know, Jesus' words to wandering people is your father will be the one who gives his servants bread, so come and eat. But the father welcomes you so much more that he will hold a feast. And so what we're doing in a symbolic practice will one day be realized. The book of Revelation describes as the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's a feast that will be for those. He is so pleased that as we come back, he's, he's waiting for the fullness of those who he has called to come into the community. And he's sustaining us with bread until one day the room is full. And he says, now we will celebrate this banquet. Uh, the Scottish minister, Sinclair Ferguson, I heard him uh, in a sermon on this say that when he came to the United States, he was surprised at how big the rehearsal dinner tradition was in American weddings. He says in Great Britain, now he's older, I don't know if things have changed, but in his generation, uh, the wedding feast was the big festival, and he said it was the father of the bride who paid for everything, who provided for everything. And he said he was surprised at this tradition that the father of the groom comes and has a great meal for everyone who is gathered. You know, the book of Revelation uh, pictures Jesus as the groom who marries the church who is the bride. And what Sinclair Ferguson said, he said, the, the Lord's Supper is like a rehearsal dinner where the father of the groom has paid for what you are having. And so we're taking that bread and we're remembering what he did in anticipation. But he said, but when the wedding comes, you find that the father of the groom is also the father of the bride. And the Father has paid for everything. And so what we're doing here by remembering Christ is we're rehearsing, we're remembering, we're celebrating because we believe that through the covenant that Jesus fulfilled that one day uh, we will be seated at that celebration. And not because of what we have achieved but because death and judgment will pass over us because we've participated in the blood of the Lamb. We've become the body of Christ. And so celebrate that, remember it, but, but renew that frequently. Come back and say, Lord, I'm not going to go six months apart from the church assuming that I could find you. 
but week by week, I'm going to return. I'm going to remember, as a father, you welcome me. You feed me. Uh, and friends, that is going to transform us as our minds are renewed. It takes some time. There's a lot of learning to do. We still struggle. Um, but if we remember Christ, we will be sustained. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we're assembled again today, and with honesty, we have not remembered this week as we should. Uh, our minds have been so shaped apart from you that those are the things that we've thought about. Those are the things that we've done. And here's another opportunity, and maybe we're here just to go through the motions. That's all that we have in us. Lord, we know that you invite us back, and uh, we feel different things. We remember different things, but Lord, help us to see today as we as we take, as we hold, as we put uh, into our mouths to remember that you are with us, that you feed us, you sustain us, you have provided. Lord, may that memory today transform our minds so this week we go out with great hope and confidence and expectation with a freedom from our sin and fear of condemnation and a sense that you as a father have provided everything we need and that, that we would walk in that faith. Lord, may that today do that work help those of us here, to be faithful in the upcoming years, week by week, to, to not lose sight of just how kind and gracious you are. May we hold that. May we taste it. May we be fed by it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.